the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Dr. Rice Brooks with us today. A look at God's Not Dead, evidence for God in an age of uncertainty. And certainly there's plenty of that these days with the, the knowledge on the increase, as Scripture tells us it would happen. More and more people want evidence. When it comes down to that evidence, let's talk about that. There's often that sense out there, uh, Dr. Brooks, that this is all about blind faith and that somehow we need to check our brains at the door, that there is a disconnect between science and belief. Talk to us a bit about this notion that somehow uh, belief in God necessitates that we completely disconnect our intellect. Uh, Craig, excellent point. In fact, last year I went to the Global Atheist Convention uh, down in Australia to listen firsthand to men like Richard Dawkins and the rest of these uh, folks that are putting this forth. And um, that was really their central contention. Ironically, Craig, uh, on the opening night of the convention, there were four professional comedians. You'd think you'd go all the way to Melbourne to hear, you know, something very scientific and profound or, you know, deeply philosophical to substantiate their lack of faith, and, and it was just insult and mockery. And ironically, there was very little reason present at the global celebration of reason, as they called it. On the other hand, real faith isn't blind, meaning that we have faith based on, number one, that we know God is real from what he's created. I think science is pointing to that. In fact, um, I was in the home of a man named Francis Collins, who uh, headed up the Human Genome Project. And, and really, Craig, imagine this. Imagine Imagine somebody listening got a text on their phone, and, and usually what we call it is a pocket text, and, and you had a few disjointed letters or disconnected letters. You'd know it was somebody sat on their phone. If somebody gave you a complete sentence, like if a student, you know, don't tell anybody I cheated on the test, they would know that sentence was not randomly produced. Well, what about a sentence 3.1 billion letters long? That's the ordered information in the human genome. And that's what caused men like Anthony Flew, who used to be the world's most famous atheist, to basically, before he died, to say, I now believe in God because of the information in DNA. And so if you go to the very beginning of the universe, uh, scientists talk about it being fine-tuned, meaning that from the very beginning, if you just take what physicists tell us about the Big Bang, uh, basically there was such an order, and it's almost like you had little knobs, like if you had a universe starter kit and gravity and other other of these constants and quantities were so finely tuned that the only response that atheists have is is that well there must be an infinite number of universes See if you have an infinite number of chances then you get a universe like ours which has all of these fantastically uh... calibrated uh... uh you know you know equations and equations but that's when you take laws and put them into mathematical statements they are they are it displays and, and shows the in, incredible order in the universe. Stephen Hawking, probably the most celebrated physicist of our time, uh, had a show on the Discovery Channel, and he said the universe could pop into existence on its own, out of nothing. And it's basically this 
you know, kind of the implication of quantum mechanics, which says that in the subatomic world, these particles kind of appear and disappear. But there's this kind of underlying thing that they say the laws of physics would predict this. So what you have, Craig, is you either have an eternal set of laws that have just been there or an eternal lawgiver, which is the better explanation. So, right, what, what about the argument you made mention earlier, you brought up Richard Dawkins' name, uh, and you're, you're kind of heading down the road toward uh, the notion of intelligent design. Now, Richard Dawkins would suggest that, well, wait a minute now, to, to suggest there's design, <coughs> design and complexity about mankind, and therefore, if, if design, then an intelligent designer, that suggests then that the designer, by by course, by nature, must be more complex than what he or it has designed, and, and therefore an absolute impossibility. What about that argument? Well, it, he's really it's really kind of a twist on actually a, uh, from a theologian named William of Ockham uh, in Ockham's Razor, which basically said if you have two explanations, the simpler one should be chosen. But, I mean, that's like saying I go into an art museum and say, well, I'm trying to figure out who made this painting, and I can't, I can't postulate an artist because the artist would be more complex than the painting. You see, so simplicity, the, 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 if you start looking at the complexities, or the complexities, rather, of what it would take for a universe to start itself, the complexities of all the detail from DNA to the fine-tuning to the moral, to, to the morality within humans, to the existence of consciousness. Uh, I mean, think about this. I mean, when Dawkins talks about who designed the designer, well, uh, you're, you're really, that's kind of like a schoolyard. It's like if you go to the moon, Al, Alvin Plantico, a philosopher, said if you go to the moon and found a, you know, somehow this big machinery on the other side and, and somebody said, oh, that couldn't have, you know, that, that just had to happen because, you know, it couldn't have just gotten here on its own or if you're positing somebody brought that here, they would be more complex than that. I mean, it really becomes an absurd argument. So I think the evidence, Craig, the evidence of design, the evidence of morality, the evidence of our own conscious minds and personality, and ultimately reason itself. There is no other explanation for reason than a, than a mind behind the universe. Uh, C.S. Lewis would have said it this way, what's more plausible, that mind brought matter into existence or that inanimate you know, you know, uncaused or, you know, matter brought mind into existence. So the best explanation, I believe, to the objective mind is, is that there was mind first and then matter. Well, we look, for example, at the so-called Big Bang Theory and the notion that out of this huge bang, this huge explosion, came such an incredible, incredible degree of chaos, and yet we, or, or organization, rather, and yet since then, we've never been able to repeat that. Every time I've seen a bomb go off, we know its capability of destruction. We've never seen anybody blow up a building, for example, and wind up with a steamship. <laughs> you know, the, the notion well, that true. somehow out, out of destruction comes order simply doesn't make any sense. And yet that's been one of the arguments that they've hung frivolously too for so many decades. If you've tuned in a bit late, we're visiting today with Dr. Rice Brooks. The book is called God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. We'll come back to more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation in this portion of the program with Dr. Rice Brooks, 
The book is called God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. Doctor, what about this notion that it seems to be it's either God or science, that they're mutually exclusive, people that like to engage in that debate? Um, They're looking for the historicity of Christ, the eyewitness accounts, the normal things that we would ask of anyone who's giving a an account of an event that took place that the rest of us did not witness. For example, uh, how, how do we know that the Titanic sunk? None of us, for the most part, were alive in 1912 when that event occurred, but we have the accounts of eyewitnesses. We have historical evidence. We have scientific proof, so to speak, to back up the fact that such a vessel did exist, it did sink, and a thousand people perished at sea. Right. I, I, Craig, I think what you're saying is, is that, you know, first of all, science, uh, science and God, I mean, the, science rose out of a Christian worldview. People don't realize this, that the original scientists, so to speak, were believers. And the reason it rose out of a Christian ethos was because they believed the universe and the world was rationally understandable. And because of that, they understood, like Isaac Newton understood, the mathematical order of the world. And, 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 of, and you start seeing the complexity of things and the harmony of things. I mean, Einstein himself, who was no, uh, he didn't believe in a personal God, but he certainly, uh, he certainly said things that people today that are trying to portray him as an ultimate skeptic don't like to be reminded of. He said the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that the universe is comprehensible. And so uh, scientists have talked about that people who are Christians talk about it being like binocular vision, that it takes faith and science working together. Uh, science can tell you if you go into a kitchen and you see a boil of you know water on the a pot boiling on the stove, you can measure the heat and when the water boils and the, 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 all of the elements that are making up the pot. But science can't tell you why that pot of tea is boiling or why that kettle is boiling. Well, I'm going to make a cup of tea. Would you like one? As C.S. Lewis would have said. So there's there's the ultimate questions of why we're here. Is Gottfried Leibniz? Uh, mathematician and a believer would ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, I was on a university campus at the University of New Orleans, and I, I, I posed that to the classroom. I said, look, you have either, you, you either, everything you see either created itself or it was started by something besides itself, thinking that would be a simple little choice of every, everything we see, matter, energy, space, time, all of it just started itself or it was started by something besides itself. And a student raised his hand. He said, there's a third choice. I said, well, what is it? He said, maybe we're not here at all. I, in a class kind of laughed, and I said, well, in that case, you wouldn't be here. So be quiet. But no, we're here. And so why is there something rather than nothing? Scientists can't answer that. They can't answer where did life come from? Darwin proposed evolution, but evolution is a theory that tells you what happens after you get life. It can't tell you where the self-replicating mutator uh, or that, that mechanism came from, much less the original organism. Darwin said that in The Origin of Species. We, have no, we at this point have no understanding as to where life came from. Uh, the scientists can't answer why are we moral. You know, people talk about the problem of evil, but what about the problem of good? For every one person that goes in and shoots up a theater or does something in a school, there's millions more that would never do such a thing and know it's wrong and reach out in comfort and concern and compassion. And so why are we moral? What's, what, what is this thing called morality that we know there's a right and a wrong, and Darwinian ethics can't explain that? 
Darwinian ethics can't tell us why Hitler was wrong versus uh, other scientists from other countries. And the ultimate question, uh, Craig, that science can't answer is, who can we trust to fix us? And really, I think for our listeners and, you know, whether it's politics or interest rates, I mean, all the things you cover on this show, everybody's looking for who can I trust, whose advice can I trust? And really, the ultimate evidence of why we can trust in Jesus Christ is because the, the God himself, the creator, became a man in Christ, and he walked on this earth, and then he inexplicably to, the, to those around him uh, gave himself over to, to be killed, but three days later he rose from the dead. And, and interesting, he rose from the dead in the very place where it would have been easiest to disprove, which was Jerusalem. I lived in Jerusalem for several months, been there many times, and nobody doubts there really that Jesus lived. Uh, it's really it comes down to what happened. Nor did he really did he died. The question, the ultimate question, is what happened after three days. And when he came out of that grave in history, resurrected, it verified his identity, and that's why we know we can trust his voice, his words, uh, his 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 wisdom. We can trust that. We can trust that advice, if you will, and say that God hasn't just kind of given us some vague understanding he has reached us in christ and given us the ultimate evidence in the ultimate evidence and i know inside the book god's not dead you refer to nine basic proofs of the 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 evidence of god is the ultimate design here to be a handbook for believers to understand more about their faith as they share it with others in a more vibrant fashion or is this even appropriate for someone who's a seeker that says you know I don't know that God exists or I have severe doubts of his existence and I've been challenged and so I'd like to do some research Greg thank you for that question it's really all of the above I mean I think number one there's a lot of people that know God is real you know he's real but you just can't show it uh, you have a subjective experience of God but if you're asked by a classmate by a co-worker in fact the man who, one of the men who inspired this book was in the Christian music industry. His name is Dean, and uh, he'd been in there for several years, and he said, he said to me, he said, I was actually talked out of my faith by an atheist. And he's driving down the highway, and uh, he just, out of his mouth, he said, God, I just can't believe in you anymore. Here's a Christian music executive in the city I'm in right now, Nashville, and he just finally is so embarrassed because this atheist pretty much said something that he couldn't respond to that he just verbalizes this, hey, God, I don't want to believe in you anymore. And he said, no sooner had he said that, that he hears a voice that said, who do you think you're talking to? Mm. So he literally pulls his car off the side of the road on I-40 here in Nashville to get his heart right, he said, but he still had to get his head right. And see, this is the thing, is that God, we don't have a faith that can't be examined. God doesn't want us to bury our doubts or just swallow and follow or don't think like that. He calls us to love him with all of our minds and hearts. So first of all, if you're a believer, but yet you're struggling with doubts, or I, can't exp I don't think I could explain this to an unbeliever, then yes, I've written this book, God's Not Dead, to give you those proofs. Uh, but if you are a seeker, or even more, if you're a skeptic, uh, you know, Craig, my atheist brother, I, I, I tell the story about my brother, who is my older brother. He was in law school at Southern Methodist University. He had a master's degree in counseling and psychology. And in his third year, at the top of his class, he came home to talk me out of the Christian faith. Mm. And he'd been studying the Bible to find the contradictions. And really, in, the, in trying to answer his questions, it dawned. I just looked at him and I said, Ben, it's not what you don't know about God that's keeping you from him. 
It's what you do know. It's like trying to hold a beach ball under the water. It says in Romans, and men suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and that's what he was doing. And uh, the night he came home to talk me out of the faith, I actually baptized my older brother. He's an attorney now, Ben Brooks, in Austin, Texas, and, and, a, and a very formidable witness for Christ. But I have found that the skeptic and the, and the atheist, I mean, I'm, I think if we talk to them and answer their questions and listen to their objections, I think this book is going to give any believer uh, the ability to be in that conversation. I've got a 16-year-old, and I tell him all the time, I say, his name is Wyatt. I said, Wyatt, this may be over your head, but it's not out of your reach. And I think that if, if believers, I mean, look, there's fantastic, you know, Robbie Zacharias, Lee Strobel, you can name it, William Lane Craig, Dr. Hugh Ross, on and on. But, you know, we don't just need another expert. We need millions of believers, Craig, that can articulate the evidence for their faith uh, to the world around them. And that's what I hope the book will give every believer the ability to do. And I hope then, too, for those that might even be listening right now that are decidedly in the, the, the curious category, the seeker category, maybe decidedly in the disbeliever category. You know, it has often been said sometimes by atheists that uh, uh, they, um, they've never come to faith in the existence of God or faith in Christ for one or two reasons, either because, well, they never knew a Christian who told them the story or because they did know a Christian and therefore decided not to. Don't let the behavior sometimes of others stand in your way of engaging in your own truth-seeking, your own research. Oftentimes at the end, there ultimately is much too, ev- too much evidence to simply ignore or to maintain disbelief. And good way to get educated and start, whether you're a seeker, curious, disbeliever, or somebody that's just looking to get a better handle on your own faith. Uh, you, you want to trade that weak, listless, ineffective faith for an alive, vibrant, life-changing faith. Uh, this book is a good place to start. God's Not Dead. Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. The book, by the way, newly published by our friends over at Thomas Nelson. You can get it at the usual suspects, Bay Area bookstores, as well as through Amazon.com. And, uh, Dr. Brooks, you've got a website, too, don't you? Yes, we do. We have it's ricebrooks.com. Or you can, if, you're, if there's pastors listing, we have resources. There's actually sermon series of free notes. We'll, in other words, we're... We are wanting pastors and leaders and campus leaders. I've just come from, I'm, I'm currently on a campus tour, and uh, campus leaders are doing series and small group material. You can go to godsnotdead.org or ricebrooks.com. But, yeah, the book technically comes out, Craig, in about a week. I think it's a week from today, but I think you can get it uh, pre-ordered on Amazon, but it'll hit the bookstore shelves in about a week. So Excellent. We'd love, really to, have, love to have you on early to do a bit of a tease here tonight, Doctor, and we'd love to get you back again soon. Thank you so much. There is Dr. Rice Brooks. God's not dead. Evidence for God in an age of uncertainty. And our thanks to Dr. Rice Brooks for being with us on this segment of the program. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I sat down the other day with a friend of church who uh, recently had a new addition to the family, a new baby daughter, and of course, the usual thrill and delight that any father demonstrates when he's got his first daughter. And as we were talking about what this meant now in becoming a father to a daughter and 
the challenges that uh, she would no doubt face growing up in the world that's filled with uh, so much sin and everything that we see on TV and on the Internet and so forth. He turned to me at one point in the conversation. He said, you know, Craig, he says, I think that I would feel better about this if I could just lock my daughter in the house, cut off the Internet and television until she's, say, 35, and then I would feel okay about this. Certainly, as he says that tongue-in-cheek, that might be a temptation. But all of us recognize that raising kids today, be they daughters or sons, in a world that is filled with so much sin and so much stuff that is available on the Internet, on the streets, texting, telephones, and, of course, television and entertainment and so forth, presents some huge challenges to parents who want to do all they can to properly train up a child and, in many respects, prepare them for what it means to become adults. Taking a look at this uh, somewhat of a challenging topic is Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today, author of a number of best-selling books down through the years, of course, uh, including one of his latest, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. And uh, Dennis, as always, great to have you on the program. It's great to be with you too, Craig. I haven't been out in your direction in a long time. (laughs) Let's talk a bit about um, the passport to purity, which is something I think is coming just in time for parents who really struggle with what they see going on in the world around them. And they say, you know, there are so many ways in which my son or my daughter has been being pulled in this direction or that direction. And it almost seems as if there's just no simple surefire way, short of my friend's recommendation to lock them in the house till they're 35, to protect them from all this. Craig, for 11 years, I taught a sixth-grade Sunday school class. I had 550 11- and 12-year-olds go through my class. And by the time I finished teaching that that class, I was convinced that uh, the ages 10, 11, 12 provided a window of opportunity that most parents don't realize is there and don't seize the moment to drive a truckload of truth and boundaries and education into their lives for the very reason you're talking about. They're just around the corner from what I believe is the most perilous some of the most perilous years a human being faces on the planet, the teenage years. And I created a tool that was really the contents of what I taught those kids, and it's called Passport to Purity. And what it is is it's a a package of of CDs that a parent can play, and uh, in the process, uh, we guide the parent in how to have discussions with the father, son, mother, daughter, over a Friday night, Saturday, to prepare them for what they're going to face in adolescence. And uh, personally, we've done a lot of good things at Family Life over the years. Our broadcast, you know, heard daily, 8.30 in the morning on uh, KFAX. Um, But this tool, Passport to Purity, has had 150,000 young people go through it. And I think it's one of the best things we've ever done, bar none. And, you know, Dennis, when we think about the challenges that young parents are facing, and I'm sure you hear this all the time from listeners who call in and write you um, from the broadcast, who say, you know, boy, to sit down with my kids, uh, number one, when we were kids growing up, and, you know, for our our child's perspective, that seems like back in the Stone Ages, uh, many of these things weren't even discussed. I mean, I I don't think I began dating with even any kind of cursory permission from dad till 16, 17 years old. I mean, anything earlier than that, you're too young. 
So the kids seem to be growing up a lot faster, and then a lot of parents feel so overwhelmed because unlike what it was like when we grew up, we didn't have to deal with the Internet and sexting and texting and what goes on with uh, modern-day technology. And a lot of parents, I think, as a result, Dennis, feel so ill-equipped to address these critical topics that sometimes they make the big mistake of simply saying nothing at all or waiting until it's too late. And in the process, Craig, what they do is they let the world do it. Mm. See, when we as parents don't fulfill our ministry in the lives of our our children, and by the way, your children are not your youth pastor's responsibility. Your children are your responsibility. God gave them to you. It is your ministry. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, since we've received this ministry, we do not lose heart. And I think what the culture is doing, Craig, is I think it's robbing parents of their courage. It convinces them they're not experts. They don't know what they're doing. They're ill-equipped, as you said. And what we've sought to do is put together a tool that makes the parent look like a hero. Because this is, this is a cool tool. So what you're really doing then here, Dennis, with the passport to purity is you're blowing some really big misconceptions out of the water. To begin with the idea that some parents think that this is an option to educate or not to educate on the topic of purity and and sexuality and so forth. Oh, believe me, they will get educated. The question is, is it going to be done within the context of God's design for relationships, or is it going to be done outside of the home, outside of the church, by the modern culture and media? Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, uh, near, near the end of that chapter, in the end of the book of Romans, this statement. He said, he's speaking like a parent. He said, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in, of what is evil. Now, if you could capture the assignment of a parent, the assignment of a parent is to train their children in wisdom, which comes from God, skill in everyday living according to the Scriptures, be wise in what is good, and to protect your children from evil, to be innocent. So they don't arrive in marriage carrying luggage from all the mistakes that they've made being allowed to go their own way all the way through adolescence. And and even if you do this with excellence, you still may not prevent that because they've got a choice. But to not engage and, and, and not have the discussion... I think what Passport to Purity does that is so effective is it gives the parent and the the young person, the 10, 11, 12-year-old, a common vocabulary, a common lexicon of terms and of topics that can be discussed, not just in this Friday night, Saturday experience, uh, mother, daughter, father, son, one time, but can be talked about then, followed up on the next week, the next month, and then for the next uh, decade of their lives as they go through adolescence. And if there's ever been a time when young people needed parents to be engaged in their lives, it's when they're going through the adolescent years before they reach adulthood and maturity. Is this a tool that would have made life even easier for you and Barbara had this been available to you when you were raising your kids? Oh, absolutely. The reason I taught the, the sixth grade Sunday school class is because I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to use the sixth grade Sunday school class to teach my kids. And by the time you teach something 11 times, the kids don't realize it, but they've probably taught you more as a parent than you've taught them. Very true. And, and what I said was, 
I want to put this, what I learned over 11 years of teaching this class, the object lessons, how we went about it, how we had fun doing it, very entertaining style, music, drama, all kinds of fun surprises along the way, embarrassing moments where we talk about, now you're turning red, because we're talking about the most intimate of life issues. We had fun doing it, and the kids enjoyed it in the process. It's interesting, uh, Craig, I've got uh, soon to have 19 grandkids. Barbara and I are very young, but our, our kids have not been bashful about being fruitful and multiplying, okay? <laughs> but we're now seeing some of my grandkids go through this. And it is really cool to think that here is a, a, a 10, 11, 12-year-old who is being coached around the major traps he or she is going to face multiple times through adolescence and have a game plan and hopefully a high enough standard on the front end that they'll be able to stay out of the traps and be innocent of what is evil. And, you know, when you think about this, it comes down to issues of really helping kids to understand that all along the way in life, they are going to be confronted with choices. The question is, ultimately, are they going to be equipped to have the right answer, the right decision-making process to make the right choices? And I guess that's where so often today, Dennis, modern education and secular society fails our kids because a lot of them are out there with an agenda that tries to present up the notion that there aren't any choices, that, for example, if a young lady finds herself in a crisis pregnancy situation, that the only choice she has is to abort that child, that there are no options. This, in fact, really helps to educate the children then from a very early age on this topic to understand that they've got choices in life. I, 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 I don't have this documented, but I recently heard about a, a major publisher that had done some research among pastors. And um, the number one concern these pastors had about the people going to their church was that there's a generation of young men and women getting married, having kids, forming their own families, and, and biblically, they don't have those convictions in place. Mm. And what, what we've attempted to do here is not just have a fun experience with a father, son, mother, daughter, but to to take them to the Scripture and let them see, you know what, the Bible, the Bible is fun. The Bible is relevant. The Bible saves you from death. It saves you from pain. It saves you from shame, from guilt. And if you follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, if you build your life around right choices, which is wisdom and not foolishness, you're going to, to not only experience adolescence on a whole different level, you're going to move into adulthood, kind of knowing where you're going and where you base your life upon. And I think it's every parent's desire that their son or daughter be equipped as they leave their home when they're 18, 19, 20, whenever it is, to be able to live life and live it skillfully. Dennis Rainey, my guest today on this edition of Lifeline. The program, of course, Family Life Today, comes your way every weekday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Dennis, of course, when he pulls out the pictures of the grandkids, it's not just a few photographs in a wallet. There's a whole PowerPoint presentation. We're going to come back to more of our conversation, a look at Passport to Purity, and by the way, how this wonderful resource can be available to you and your family as our conversation with Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today continues.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with a very special guest. You recognize his voice certainly as host of Family Life Today. Heard weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. He's Dennis Rainey, and Dennis has joined us today to talk about a wonderful resource that he's making available through Family Life Today. And you can get more details, by the way, on the web by going to familylife.com. That's familylife.com. This new resource is called Passport to Purity can help you better equip your child for what they're going to face in life, particularly when we talk about many of the issues related to modern-day sexuality and all that that means. And you know what's interesting, Dennis? A lot of parents think that they are singular in the role of raising up a child or influencing a child. But I guess the real reality is that when it comes to child-rearing, there are some other influences taking place in there as well. Friendships, their peers, the people that they associate with, the influences that they're going to be subjected to in modern-day culture and media. You know, Craig, we raised six children through adolescence. Nothing challenged my leadership like raising kids through adolescence. It was all hands on deck every day. But the biggest challenge, and this is going to sound terribly hypocritical, but it was Christian peers kids that our kids went to church with, who they looked up to, but who um, would encourage our children to disobey us or or call us fuddy-duddies or out to lunch. And I think by the time I finished raising, Barbara and I finished raising our six, we we both knew that we had to know what was going on in our kids' lives around peer pressure. Who their, who their friends were, where they came from, and even if they went to church with our kids, did not guarantee that they were going to give them sound advice. So this notion that somehow, well, if we send our child to a, a Christian school, for example, and certainly <laughs> means nothing from a pejorative sense whatsoever, but the fact of the matter is you never know how another parent is training up their child or the kind of values that they're instilling in them And so as a result, it really comes back to building that firm, solid foundation with your son or daughter as early on as possible. You know, one of the most revealing uh, times as we raised each of our six into adolescence came in junior high and high school. It was, as you just said, Craig, it was as our kids' friends moved into adolescence with them, we begin to see what the true values were and how they got played out in everyday life in these peers. And what looked like a Christian family with Christian teaching, and you you would think with high standards, the junior high years, the high school years, revealed, hey, wait a second, you know what? It may have had the appearance of going to church, teaching about Christ, but the young person either didn't get it or the parents didn't teach it because the way they were living was in a different direction. Dennis, and, do sometimes the parents kind of think, and, and falsely so, that this will all sort of take care of itself? In other words, I might feel bashful or awkward about addressing the issue of um, sexuality with my daughter, say. So I assume that, well, this will be covered in Sunday school, and they'll get some education because, after all, we're, we're making the sacrifice to send the kids to a private school. Those topics will be addressed there, and of course, they're good kids, and we take them to school and to church uh, every week, and so we really don't have to worry 
worry about this. It'll all take care of itself. Is that is that a, a do you find in your experience that is a frequent misperception? I think so, and I think there's one other thing I'd add to it. I think a lot of parents are afraid to get into the conversation with their kids about sex because they're afraid their kids are going to say, "Hey, mom, dad, what'd you do?" There it is. And that's the reality I think that parents need to come to grips with, that as you say, for our generation, uh, getting access to a lot of this meant heading down to the you know the ugly, seedy side of town that nobody ever went into. Uh, today, you don't have to even leave the convenience and privacy of your own home. It finds you. And I guess in the, in the, in the final analysis, Dennis, parents have to understand, look, this is going to find your kids one way or another. The question is, when it does... Will they be ready with an answer? Will they be equipped with the kind of tools, skills, and moral and spiritual foundation that they need to make the right choices? No more valuable a gift that you could give to your son or daughter at a time when they need it the most than the passport to purity. Again, more information online at FamilyLife.com. That's FamilyLife.com. Grandma, Grandpa, Don't wait for your son and daughter to go out and pick up a copy. Do something right now. Be proactive to protect your grandkids. Go online and order it today. Get more information. FamilyLife.com, the passport to purity. Dennis, as always, we sure appreciate the time, my friend. And appreciate you, Craig, and love the listeners of KFAX in the Bay Area. And look forward to seeing you someday. Look forward to you getting away from the heat and come on out here and join us in the the natural air conditioning of the Bay Area fog. (laughs) There's Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today, the broadcast weekday mornings at 8.30 right here on KFAX. Check it out. Invite a friend to listen and check out, too, more information on the Passport to Purity. Simply log on to FamilyLife.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.